just right now with where I think God's got me and my wife and our family. We're entering into a, a period of really uncertainty in our life. And it's a, it's a time where we get to put our faith into practice and say, God, I believe that you are true in your word, that you are going to work yourself out for our good. And so tonight's a difficult night um, because it's really been These are the times that we get to see in the heat of our circumstances if we really practice what we believe. We get to say, okay, Lord, that you promise us peace, you promise us provision, you promise us all these things, and so when we enter into circumstances, we get a chance to prove our faith. And so I want to challenge you, if you're in a position tonight where God has you in a place and he's asking you, do you really believe? I've never had a tissue given to me. Thank you. <laughs> First for everything. Wow. Thank you. We really get to say that, God, you are going to be here in the middle of the circumstances. And it doesn't matter what we say or do. It's who you are and what your promises are. If we don't come to that conclusion, then I believe we make a mockery of our faith. I believe we make... God to be out a fictitious person who shines on some people and doesn't shine on others and opens up parking spaces in front of Starbucks when we want. And we have a a really distant God who decides to sometimes give us some good luck. And as we look tonight, I want to dig into the scriptures here with the own timing of my own life to say that, God, surely there are seasons Surely you know that the rains fall and the sun rises and that you provide for the harvest. And so that's where we go tonight. If you have a Bible, open to James 5. Let me start with this. <clears throat> I think the collision that I'm having tonight is also realization as your leader is the guy who um, leads our community, leads the, the vision that, that we are someone across, that God's presence is above all the most important thing. And that for a long time, and that we've misled and, and mistreated the stewardship of this opportunity we have to call Epic Life and have a, a place and a building and an amazing band and amazing opportunity to have God's presence here. And, and when people have sought the presence of God, that we have given them a program. And when people have looked for access to the kingdom, we've given them an activity. And so there's times in these when we need to come and say that it doesn't matter this, that God, if you don't show up here, if you don't radically intervene, it is all for naught. It is all completely worthless. And so I just want to repent before you guys and say that we are committed to making this a place of presence of God. 
not about a program. We talked a couple weeks ago about expectations, about having an expectation that God would meet us here and that God would show up. And if we don't come with an expectation that God is going to have a living encounter with his living people, then we should go home. And so I want to give you the challenge again tonight and affirm that our commitment here is not on a, an easy four-step program of faith that it kind of helps make your life suck slightly less. It's about experiencing God's best and experiencing his heart. And if we don't experience his heart when we come here, then something needs to change. Because I think all of us, we're tired of the church structure. We know what that looks like. We know what that sounds like. We know what it kind of does, and and it doesn't work for us. Only God's presence, only his transformation in us is what matters. And if we don't seek that, if we don't have an unwavering commitment, if we don't stand here and say, God, I'm not going to move until you come. And then we have completely wasted our time and we wasted everything. And so I just want to come here as this collision with me personally and with kind of where we're at with, with Epic Life and just say, we're going for it. We're swinging for the fences. And that we believe that this is a sacred ground in which God surely can have a crater erupt from these places every week and that it would spread out from here all throughout the region, for the state, through the country, through the world. I don't know. Why not? His word's consistent with that. He took 12 people and changed the world. So surely he can take people like us and do the same, and, and that's where I'm committed to going. But it, it, it first comes to a point where the seasons of our life have to declare that God is good and God is the utmost important thing in all of it. The season will come, the season will go, and if God is not the center, if he is not blessed no matter what, then nothing else matters. And so with that, James 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Everyone say, stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all else, my brothers, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be your yes, your no being your no, or you will be condemned. The main verse tonight is verse 7. It says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Your Bible might say the latter rain there. And the latter rain is what we're going to come back to here and talk about that God has seasons back and forth. And, and there are four challenges here in this text that I want to pull in, in to look at our circumstances. You might be anywhere in the middle of, of your life and say, whether it's a relationship or finances or it's, a, it's a, a, a trouble or an illness, that we have seasons and issues and challenges in our life and that we get to come to God and test ourselves at how we do with that. And the, the, the biggest thing I want to say about here. And all of it is that God know, knows it from the beginning to the end. And so the first point and the first challenge here is that we need to have perspective. 
The text here gives us a farmer as a metaphor. And it's not as if it's like we need to be the farmer. It is that God is the farmer. And it's saying that the farmer knows the early and latter rains. He knows the seasons. God knows the season of your life right now. Can we take a sigh of relief and and to just like, that wow, God has a clue about what's going on here. Because sometimes we look around and we, we just look and, mm, you know, like, God, surely this is a surprise to you. I didn't expect life to turn out this way. And the greatest thing I take comfort in here in the first challenge is that perspective that the farmer is not surprised by the seasons. And neither should we. Right now we're switching from summer to fall. And if we didn't have a knowledge that this was fall, wouldn't we all be panicking and think that we're going to go into this horrible freeze and all of land is going to dry up and, and flood away or whatever? I mean, we, we all know that this is fall. It's going to get colder. We're going to get more rain. And then somewhere around March, April, whatever, that the sun's going to come back. And we all, we all know that, right? So the first thing I take comfort in is that God is the farmer. We are his harvest. We all are the handiwork of Jesus. We represent the crop, if you will, of Jesus. And he knows the seasons that we are going to go through. It is not a surprise that we have trials and tribulations. In fact, God's word in John 16, says this, I have told you these things that you may have peace. Everyone say peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He knew that we were going to wrestle with our challenges. And he knew that we were going to totally question where is God in our circumstances. And so he clearly comes out here and says, I know that you're going to freak out and spaz out and wonder where I am, and I'm here to tell you that I know the seasons. And in fact, you are my crop. You are my great harvest in which I take amazing delight in. My wife, a few weeks ago, she went to the Caribbean for what seemed like an eternity. I think it was only like maybe 10 days, but Somewhere in there, I got this, like, wild idea to renovate our backyard. I'm not a gardener. I seem to, like, we, we always joke, like, should we buy another plant to kill today? You know, it's like one of those things. And so we have this backyard, and it is just, like, swimming in weeds and all sorts of just— it, we joke it's like a Spanish or an English garden. And a gardener came and was like, that's not an English garden. It's like weeds, you know? And it's, it was like horrible. And so somewhere in the idea, I got in my mind that I'm going to rip everything out. Before my wife comes home, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to totally redo it all. And so, horrible idea. But I went for it anyways. And I go there and I, I you know, have a pickaxe and I have a couple, I've bribed a couple buddies from here to come over and feed them Taco Bell and help me renovate this yard and and we do all these things, and so I, I spend literally like 40 hours, like, over a three or four-day stretch to do this yard. And I even, like, and we have, like, all this clay soil stuff, so I'm, like, renting a rotor tiller, and I'm, like, you know, cutting through wires, and it's not working at all. I'm getting fertilizer and trying to mix it in and compost and rip everything out, and I go and buy a huge truckload of flowers, and I go in, and I dig all these holes, and I'm blisters all over. I'm sore, and I plant all of these plants right? And Camille comes home, and she's just blown away. I mean, we even, like, rebuilt a deck and stained the deck. I mean, I'm up for husband of the year, by the way, so um, (laughs) it was amazing. And I'm, you know, like, oh, oh, you know, of course. But I knew, like, the work that was into it. But here's the, the, the challenge is that after that, I've been forever paranoid about those blasted plants in my backyard. I look at the sun, I'm like, 
oh, they're not going to get enough water today. Oh, I'm calling a community. Like, can you, like, reset the sprinklers or run one more time? Or, you know, I'm like, I'm totally worried about the heat or, like, the rain. And I'm, I'm going out there and I'm fertilizing, like, these little, like, powdery substances over them. And I'm, like, consumed that my investment's going to go completely down the toilet. And I take great comfort in that, knowing that surely if some clown in West Sacramento takes a pickaxe and digs a garden, that surely God, as we are his harvest, takes amazing care over every condition that we have. Surely he sees the seasons that come into our life, and he wonders, oh my gosh, here it comes. And he comes after us and makes himself available to us in those circumstances and tends to our needs in the seasons that we have. Because surely in our life, we are going to have rains, and we are going to have the heat, we're going to have the drought, we're going to have the winds. And we're going to have all these circumstances, and we should take first the great perspective in knowing that God is the harvester, and we are the harvest. And he is oh so concerned about us. And researching this a little bit is, is I have found that in the hard circumstances is when trees go further down for roots, in the droughts, they'll go farther than they'll ever go in their lifetime to find water. It's in the droughts and those seasons in which they go and pursue the new sources of refreshment. And so as we enter into these seasons that challenge us, the, the challenge for us is to have perspective and to also go and pursue the new levels of refreshment. Because life and circumstances change, and the things that satisfy at one time don't satisfy anymore. Amen? We need to have the mindset in the peace that God is a harvester. The second challenge is verse 8. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged the judge is standing at the door. I'm sorry. You two be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The first part, stand firm. Your Bible will actually probably say establish your heart. The real meaning of that is actually establish your heart. But we as, you know, ADD Christians, we're going to read through that and we're like, establish your heart. I have a heart. It's beating, you know, and you move on. And so I think that the NIV, if you have that, it says stand firm. But it's not a real fair interpretation of what the text is really saying there. It's saying establish your heart. Now, what does that mean? Now, we can look at the definition of establishing. It says to make firm or stable, to introduce and cause to grow and multiply, to bring into existence, to put on a firm basis. That is establishing. We are called to have our heart established and rooted in Christ. And moreover than that, as we think of being the the harvest, and Jesus is the harvester, is that we can actually work against the harvester. Those plants I put in the backyard, they're not working against me. They are what they are. But we, having free will, having the choice and the decisions to make any any liking of our circumstances that we like, we can actually work against the one who's trying to cultivate us. And what that looks like is that when we have a heart that is refusing to go deep, when those seasons come and that tree and the drought should be sending roots down for water, when it says, no, I'm not going to, that is, in our case, not establishing our heart. The text here is commanding and exhorting us to say when the seasons come that we'd stand firm, establish your heart, have your heart multiply and grow and go down for the next refreshment. It's critical that we get this because God is calling us to have a steadfast heart. 
Raise your hand if you'd say, right now, I am in a transitionary period of my life. I mean, like what? 70% of I mean, anybody not in a transitionary period of life? I mean, like who isn't in transition? I mean, this is like the most hard sector of like life is this, you know, 18 to 30-ish, you know, it's like life is just a deck of cards and you, you just, I don't know, it's going to be this one day and the next some other thing, right? We're totally persuaded that the moment we meet a girl, life changes, right? I mean, like, no one here is stable. No one here knows what's going on. Life is such a, a, a guess. We are all in, in transition. And here's the pitfall that all of us have, is that when you are in transition, is that you have a heart that says, not so much worth the investment to be established and then grow roots. We don't want to grow roots because we feel that we are in transition and we feel it's not worth the investment. We actually had a friend that we were trying to introduce them to more people. And they had some plans to move. And what they told us is that we don't see any purpose in getting involved in church. We don't see any purpose in you introducing us to your friends. We don't see any purpose in any of these things because we're going to move and frankly it's all going to be a waste. Wow. What an attitude. That we think that we're in transition, and so maybe you're in transition here tonight. And maybe an attitude is, well, I'm just here for one week, and so I'm just going to kind of give God a couple appetizers of my heart and move on because I'm not here. This is not my community. This is not the city I want to be in. This is not what I had planned. And so I moved here for my wife. She was going to school. And I was starting a business at that exact same time. And I had to make a decision of whether I was going to give a half-hearted effort into a business or give it my all. And I gave it my all. And I still give it my all. But what that has done is that it's brought tremendous blessing, but it also has kind of messed up our plans. Because I took a gamble on God. I said, God, I'm going to give you it all. I'm going to just go for it. I don't care if I'm here a day, a year, or whatever. How long you have me, God, I want to grow roots down deep. And so we have not lacked in investing in any relationship around us. We have said we believe that God is here and he wants us to be established and to have relationship. That doesn't mean that we are here forever. That doesn't mean that we don't know what tomorrow holds. I, we are out, but a mist is what the Bible says. We're here one moment and gone the next. But the challenge for you tonight is to have an established heart that says no matter what circumstance I'm in, I am going to establish my heart and let it grow deep in the knowledge and community of Jesus. What do you have to lose if you don't? What, what loss is it if you bypass these opportunities to experience God? What is lost in that? And so I think the text here is challenging us to stand firm in our hearts and to have those roots go down deep and to seek him and to be established. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is the insurance policy that whether you come here, you go somewhere else, that when you invest in God's kingdom, he's always going to return back. And Isaiah says, his word never returns void. Whatever you do, whatever you come here, whenever you meet with God, it will never be in vain. I used to, for a long time, look and, and, and not give to the homeless because I thought, you know, I'd given to the homeless a few times and, and then you learn that maybe that person went and bought a ton of alcohol in it. And I thought, well, I'm just enabling the sin. And God totally corrected my heart about this. like, what concern is it of you, of that person's behavior? And so I remember going through and there's this, 
this, this homeless man that sits out by my parking garage in my office, and every day I pass him. And every day I just, I wouldn't give. Until God convicted my heart. And he says, even that, that 45 cents of miscellaneous change in your, your compartment there, what loss is it? The labor in the Lord to say, God bless you, what is your name? Can I pray for you? All those different things. It will never return void. And I think, well, what is, the, what is the, the profit of it? It doesn't matter what the profit is. It's not going to return void. Isn't that what's really important? Is that we're so concerned on knowing what the result is, is that we bypass the opportunity. When we can't see the result, we limit ourselves from partaking in amazing God opportunities. And maybe tonight that you need to completely shatter the result part of your mind. You're focusing in on what can I do to get an end result from whatever action this is. And God's saying, screw the result. Take up the opportunity with God. Because it's not going to be in vain. It's not going to return void. Because our hearts guard themselves from going deep. There's a saying that says that the grass is always greener on the other side. And a friend corrected me. I'm like, No. The grass is greener where you water it. Isn't that cool? The grass is greener on the other side. No, the grass is always greener where you water it. When we were redoing all of our backyard, all of our grass was dead. I mean, like, every last, like, shred of it was dead. It's been covered in dog poo and pee for years. And it just was like, there's no hope at all, you know? And so when I, like, redid the yard and cleaned up all the other stuff, turned the sprinklers back on, what do you know? We have a green backyard now with grass that's shooting up. Grass is always greener where you invest it. Now, you need to decide in your circumstances right now if whatever you're going through, if it's worth further investing in God or not. Because that is going to determine if you have the green grass and the harvest that you want. There's nothing to lose with God. Whenever he puts his name and his reputation on it, he says, your labor in me is not in vain, and I'll always return back on the promises. Verse 9, what I meant a minute ago. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The third challenge here is to not to blame, complain, or invite the enemy. In your circumstances, don't blame, complain, or invite the enemy. What does that mean? Well, I think that it's easy for us to look at our circumstances and blame somebody else. It was my family. It was this person or this relationship or this job. I mean, it's easy for us to blame our poor, snotty circumstances on somebody else and complain about it. Isn't that right? But here's the the truth for tonight is that when we partake in complaining and blaming is we set a welcome mat out for the enemy in our life. We set a welcome mat that says, come on, invite. Here. I've missed you. It's like you're literally writing a card to Satan. Dear Satan, I've missed you. I'm in a bad mood right now, and I'm going to start blaming and complaining. You are welcome here, and you would enjoy it. Very much love, Eric. You know, and you send it, right? When we do that, we are inviting a whole bunch of other stuff to make our circumstances a whole lot worse. Complaining and blaming does not help your circumstances one iota, and I'd plead with you tonight to know that it does the exact opposite. Because I think we have the attitude that you know, we're all uh, kind of communistic in one way of that we're not happy. No one else can be happy, you know. It's like, we're going to make other people sad, you know, if we're sad. And we're going to bring other people down. I see that all the time. You have the Debbie Downers, you know. Oh, yeah, the sky's blue. 
yeah, it's probably acid rain coming, you know, and they're just going to like rain on your parade. Hey, there's a parade over there. Yeah, go rain on it, buddy, you know. And you look at people who always want to bring others down, and I think it's because we like to know other people in our circumstances. We like to say, misery loves company, right? All wallow together. We all, you know, are sad together. We all have a pity party together. I think that is a pity party that the Satan, that Satan loves to attend and is going to meet us there every single time. When we do that, when we start blaming and complaining, we start to partake in something that is crippling our culture, and that is an attitude of self-destruction. Especially in our age group, our stage of life, there is a suicidal covering over our generation in our community, and people who are in this stage of life right now. And it's not maybe necessarily that I'm going to slip my wrists and do different things and, and take my life. It's that I'm going to spiritually kill my life. It's that we say that God, not so much. In fact, I'm going to go over there and really hurt God. I'm going to totally piss away my life. And I'll show somebody. Someone somewhere will feel sorry for me. And there's this stronghold of self-destruction over us. This is clearly in the Bible, too. Job, chapter 2, verses 9. This is Job's wife. You might know the story that Job had an unbelievably challenging period of life. And it wasn't like a week. I mean, if you look, like his whole entire family was wiped out. And this spanned years. And his wife, look at what his wife said. Not like, we're going to pray through, we're going to, you know, fast, and we're going to, you know, petition God. It's going to be okay. God is the harvester. It's a season. Look what Job's wife says. Chapter 2, verse 9, it says, His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And the text says that in all of this, Job did not sin in what he ever said. That through all the circumstances, it said that Job's speech was blameless. That your own wife is saying, pull the plug on this God thing, curse God and die. Now, we might not go to that extreme. But I tell you what, there's circumstances in which we look at at things and we're just like, you know what, I'm over this. I'm over the circumstance and I've been ignoring these temptations and everything, all those things over there. And I'm over this and I'm just going to walk right into it. I'm going to fully give myself to sin. I even saw on a friend on, on his Facebook, and he's going through amazing pain. And people started, like, encouraging him and saying, man, we're praying for you. We love you. And he says, screw God. Screw prayer. Screw thoughts. I'm going to go do this. And I just, like, looked at him like, gosh, no. Especially on Facebook, please. <laughs> but no. Why? Why have the mentality and the attitude curse God and die. That would be like saying to my wife, if I was really mad at her for some reason, that I'm going to get back at her by sleeping with another woman. Isn't that the same thing? That we look at our relationship with God, we have a, a marriage covenant with God. That is how we, the church, are identified with Christ. Christ is the groom. We are the bridegroom. We are the bridegroom of Christ. It talks about the second coming of Christ as in a marriage ceremony. And we are the bridegroom. We are our God's prize. 
And so God relates to us in our relationship with him of one of a relational covenant of marriage and intimacy because it's the highest level of intimacy. And it's no different than if I was mad at my wife to say, I'm going to go sleep with another woman just to get back at you because I'm mad at you. Is that not the same thing we do when we say that we're going to lash out at God and we're going to show God. We're going to show him and he'll be sorry. And we're going to fully give ourselves to the sin that we know is going to break his heart. I wish that wasn't a common attitude. I wish that wasn't in the mix, but I see it. I saw it last night. And it strikes me because I believe that Job knew that God was standing at the door, as our text says. It says, don't grumble, don't complain, don't find bitterness with another brother because the judge is at the door. I think Job knew that on the other side of this tribulation was a door, an access point, where all of a sudden God's going to come in. We have a word over our ministry Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand here and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will eat with me. We feel that there is, around every circumstance that we go with, there's a door that we open and we invite the presence of God in. And so behind every season, behind every challenge you have, there's a doorway, and God is right behind that doorway. And we just can't see him. And we don't want to see him. We don't want to consider it. But Job had the wisdom of that. The Bible tells us to have the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. The eternal God made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Mark 10:45 says that, For he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think of the eternal God making himself a servant for us. How humiliating. Being made at human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The words that should start stare at you face to face here is the words nothing, servant, humbled, obedient. That is the attitude of Jesus nothing, humble, obedient servant. Those aren't words that we identify with the creator of the universe. And so that should be our attitude as we engage in trials and tribulations. Jesus even went all the way to the cross and death, the sinless savior for our redemption. And he said, I'm going to give myself for you. Not because you deserve it, but because I love you. But we have a, a challenge because we like to play scorecard. Again, we are so focused on the result. We think that nothing and servant and obedient and, and humility, we, we, don't, we don't correlate those things with things that we think that are going to work out for our good because we're so focused on that result. But if you would read further in that text, the next line says, but God elevated him to the highest of the high, for every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he will be exalted above all other name in all of creation because of it. We should take great comfort in that because God's scorecard is not our scorecard. And the last challenge here for you is to know that the score is not settled. Whatever circumstance you have right now, you need to know, please know that the score is not settled. I don't care what you have going on in your life. The score is not settled. God loves the upset. God finds great joy 
and breaking all of our plans. If you want to make God laugh, you can do one simple thing. Tell him your plans. I think it finds it very amusing. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because God loves the upset. God loves to take the circumstances that are so horrible and use them for good. I can stand a testament that God has never wasted one challenging or difficult or horrible thing that has ever happened in my life. He's used every last one of them. And as we enter into this season of great uncertainty, a challenge that stands before us and our family and our life, we're just like, sweet! I gotta trust that the score is not settled, that God is gonna use his economy, not my economy, not our ideas, but he's going to provide the answer, and it's gonna be beyond what we have the idea and expectation for. And it is a practice to say that we believe that God has his good above all the other challenges, uncertainty, and poor circumstances that we have. We're going to show a video here in a moment. It's about someone, and the doctor's head looked at this child and said, this, this child has brain damage. This child could have cerebral palsy, could have muscular dystrophy, has severe vision impairment, has horrible allergies. This child, for all intents and purposes, is going to be a waste. That there's so many horrible, horrible things happening, so many terrible things right here in the middle of the circumstances that they laid an expectation that there was very little room for hope. They painted such a bleak picture. I'm going to show that video of that testimony right now. This is the story of our family walking in faith with God. My husband and I adopted Ashton when he was uh, one and a half years old. We came in contact with him when he was five months, and he had already been at five different foster homes at five months old. After the adoption, when he was about one and a half, we discovered that Ashton had many different illnesses. One was bronchitis, asthma, his vision was impaired. The doctors told us that the possibility of him having multiple sclerosis in his future existed. After um, the doctors had told us that he was in trouble possibly, that began to concern us as well as them about his future. Uh, days for him in school were very traumatic. He missed many days and consequently I became a stay-at-home mom. So because of this, we still have Ashton today. We had a lot of, we had prayed a lot and had a lot of trust in God. And we're just happy to have him now as our son. And he's healthy, he's thriving, he plays basketball. He wears contacts, but he can see very well. And we love him very much. You know, people talk about, you know, there's angels out there that you can't see. I get the privilege of seeing my angel every day. I asked my mom to be in this testimony because I felt like it was only respectful and right that I bring the engine that God put in my life to keep my heart running. You may ask why I'm giving this testimony. Well, I was sitting at home and I was thinking about all the people in the world. I saw all the people who were sick. I see all the people who are sad. I see all the people who are lost. I see all the people who are confused. I see all the people who just, there's, they feel like there's no hope. I don't blame the lady that had me, because I was adopted. She did a lot of drugs. 
did drink a lot. She did a lot of things that I heard. And that's that helped contribute to what I have had in the past, and that is asthma and pneumonia and all these other things. So I don't blame her for that. But it does hurt. It does hurt. As a child, I couldn't run. Otherwise, it'd be a trigger and I'd be in the hospital. It's a trigger for asthma. I couldn't laugh too hard. It'd be a trigger for asthma. I'd be in the hospital. I couldn't open presents with my mom and dad. But I'd go into the hospital. I didn't know what it was like to be healthy. I didn't know what it was like to smile. Half the time, I was just waiting for the time to go. I took well, you know, my school pictures. I was, I was dying in my pictures. I couldn't even, I tried so hard to smile. I tried so hard not to show people that I was sick. I tried to smile over it, but I was hurting inside. I was hospitalized maybe six times in Fresno. That's where I lived for five years. Four times out here and probably two times in Los Angeles. I, I remember my heart. I remember the medication that they gave me made my heart pound so hard as a child that I'd be jumping in the, in the bed that I was laying in the hospital. It was that powerful. You know, when you go through something like this, you don't think too highly of God, at least in my case. I never blamed God for anything, but I was a little skeptic of him. Because if he was so powerful and miraculous, why haven't I seen it? Instead of me thinking, thanking God for waking me up, I was saying, Hey God, I'm sick again. Thanks for the help. God, I'm hospitalized again. Thanks for the help. God, I'm writing letters to my mom at seven years old saying I'm sorry for being their son. My mom and dad. I was ashamed. I couldn't understand how for someone to be that powerful and do all that miraculous miraculous things and I was dying every day. You know, why am I still here? What's the purpose? I mean, what do you want if I'm still alive? But you know what? As time passed and went on, I started getting back into church. I started focusing on God and learning about God and what He can do and His powers. I realized He puts you through that to make you stronger, to make you stronger as a person, to make you believe that He is the one. He can change lives. He can do anything He wants to do to transform you. and He will do that. He's done it for me. I don't have any of these elements no more. I'm here to tell you there is hope and there's a power that is God. Awesome. Well, you welcome Ashton up here. Give him a hand. Thank you. <laughs> I've uh, known this guy for a little while, but I had no idea that that was the story behind him. And when he told me his story, I just, my heart broke. And just to know that that was the circumstances that his family and that he had growing 
into his life as early, what, one years old at the time. And, um, God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't let any of those seasons pass without his good. And so um, just wanted to <laughs> welcome you up here and say thanks for sharing the story and just ask if there's anything else you want to share about yourself. Yeah, there's a few, th- few things. Uh, when I was five, I remember being in the hospital and I was laying there. You know, my heart was pounding. The oxygen mask was on my face. Um, the pain I was in. I remember Satan sitting right next to me. And, you know, just the sadness that I felt. You know, because I knew he was there. I knew he was there. I'm talking about Satan. And I didn't want, you know, I don't know. It was just the feeling. You don't ever want to feel that. But as I was laying there, and the devil was laughing at me, I realized, and the devil soon realized, that God was there all along. He had a plan for me. He already knew what was going to happen. I was not going to be sick all my life. I was going to come out of it. Uh, I remember one time when I was in the hospital laying down, uh, I had a mask on me again, and the devil was there again, and God put a word in me, actually three words. I, to this day, it bothers me. It, like, it doesn't bother me, but it's amazing just when you think about what he said for me to say to the devil. It was actually four words. <laughs> he said, you won't get me. That's what he told me to say to the devil, and I told him that. Five years old, barely able to breathe, and I said that to him. You know, God is there. He's going to change your life. I know all of you go through certain circumstances and troubles, but he'll change your life. Just believe in him. Just have a little hope, and he'll change, he'll change your life. And you brought your family. Can we have uh, Ashton's family stand real quick and just say hi? Can we? Thank you, guys. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say to your family? Yeah, can you stand back up, please? (laughs) Uh, My other brother couldn't be here tonight, but, you know, if it wasn't for God, if he didn't put these four people in my life, uh, I definitely wouldn't be here right now. My mom, her love, my dad, his his humor, you know, he kept me happy when I couldn't, you know, when I couldn't talk. Kalen, he was grown when he was five years old, so, you know. He told me what to do. He kept me on my toes, so I thank him. My other brother who's not here right now, uh, when I was at home and I was laying in bed and I couldn't breathe, I couldn't talk, I was hurt, he would come into the room. He started this at two years old. He would come to the room. He would, first, he would try to make me breakfast at two years old. Then he would come into my room. He would sit there, and he would talk to me. He would just talk to me. When I couldn't even breathe, you know, he would still try to talk to me. And that right there, that's all I got. Awesome. Thank you. I'll have the band come up, and I want to leave you with this, is that in the very first verse, remember it talked about the early and latter rains, and maybe your NIV says the, the autumn and spring rains. There's something significant about latter rain in the Bible. And it's used to talk about God's outpouring on his people. 
and his outpouring on his second coming on us and what that looks like. And so we as God's people are between the autumn and the spring rain, the early and the latter rain, and it is our responsibility to be in community with each other, to go through the seasons, to go through the cold, the wind, to go through those challenges, and to, to deep, deepen our roots with God, and to pray and beckon that latter rain. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen says this, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. 99% of our life is how we react. Our circumstances, we have an opportunity to prove God's presence and his power in our lives when we go through circumstances. How are we going to react? How is your reaction going to be as you enter the different seasons? Are you going to freak out, flip out, and check out? I like that. Freak out, check out, flip out, something like that. I like that. That's what I would do. Or are we going to sow seeds into ourselves that God is already moving and growing in us, that we would multiply. Remember, establishing our heart means also to multiply that in our difficult circumstances, we'd multiply the fruit of our hearts and grow with him and have the perspective that he's the harvester, we are his harvest, to know that we cannot complain and blame and to know that God is going to move our hearts for him and that he will have the ultimate score. He will find his way. So I challenge you tonight, no matter what your circumstances is, is don't forget this saying, live your life in such a way that in your circumstances, people demand an explanation for why you are the way you are. Live your life so that people look at your circumstances, look at your attitude, look at your life, and have to know, they have to grab you by the collar and say, I have got to know why you are the way you are. If we live truly according to God's word in these circumstances, people are going to come and they're going to do that. And isn't that the greatest witnessing opportunity we've ever seen? Is that the greatest witnessing opportunity is when someone needs to ask the question, why I have to know. I believe that is the most real representation we can give others around us of the living power of God in us. And we need to come tonight and say, if we are blowing it with representing God in our circumstances, that we ask God to forgive us. And then we seek him to establish our hearts. And then we would sow into the community around us, that we would sow into the opportunities he gives us, ignoring the reward, and that we would seek him, and he's going to do that. And next week, we're going to have an emphasis on prayer and praying for rain. That's how James ends. After this, it talks all about praying for rain. And it's perfect because as we look, maybe you're feeling that you're in a drought and you need some rain. And the rain is God's covering over us. That's God's coming in here, into our lives, into our hearts. And so our study next week is going to really focus on us seeking God for that rain in our lives. I think we all could use it. Amen? Can we stand? So, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. And, God, we thank you for Ashton's story. Lord, we thank you that you have defied the odds 
God, you sit and you laugh with joy, knowing, God, that you knew from the beginning to the end what you were going to do with his life. And Lord, we praise you for his testimony. Lord, we pray that you'd raise up new testimonies in this place, Lord, that we would encourage each other. God, knowing that we are your harvest, we are the handiwork, God, of your hands. And that we would honor you, Lord. And so would you help us tonight, Lord, to humble our hearts and establish them in you. And Lord, that we would take every opportunity to grow in you. Lord, we just agree that you are good. How can we accept the good and not the bad? Lord, we refuse to have an attitude that says to curse you and to die. Lord, we refuse it. And we just say, yes, Lord, have your way in us. And God, we just stand upon your promises knowing that what you have us waiting for is not nearly as important as who we will become during our waiting. That who we become during this season of our lives is way more important than what we are waiting for. So Lord, we just say multiply. Have your way in us, Lord. And as we worship you now, I just pray that you would spring forth God, encouragement and love and affirmation over us, knowing that, Lord, you know the seasons of our life. You are not surprised. You are not surprised in the slightest about our current circumstances. And you are delighting in the ways that you are going to break the odds and use us. Lord, help us to honor you and not fight you in that process. And we just surrender to you as we worship now.